Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, the end of a thing is better than the beginning thereof. Give us your final words and let them rule in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please sit down. My labor, and I suppose I have been cooperating with the Holy Spirit, in this retreat has been to answer two big questions facing not only CDM, but all churches, all Christians worldwide. Number one, what kind of disciples are we producing in our churches, in our fellowships, in our schools, in our Bible colleges, in our environments? What kind of, of Christians, what kind of fruit are we producing as individuals? And we have been looking at that topic because things must change. If the kind of disciples we are producing are not worth heaven, why should God energize us, anoint you with the Holy Spirit to spread more of that? If I were God, I wouldn't be interested. Because I don't like your fruit. And such a factory must close down. But we have seen that it is possible to produce fruit that will be acceptable before God. If we work on ourselves, you know, we are the main target and we work on the methods we are using. Let's look more closely at Jesus and, and fashion our methods after him. The second question we have been trying to answer here is the speed with which we are doing the work. Considering the work left, considering the time left, the pace at which we are moving as churches, as individuals, as fellowships, that pace cannot finish this work. Even if we are given another 2,000 years. And this is the reality which should hit every child of God. I mean, 
you are in an exam. You are supposed to answer five questions. And they've given you two hours. And you used one hour for one question. Even that, you haven't finished. And you see that you have four more questions, compulsory questions, and you have only one hour to attack them. It means that the tempo at which you are moving is not correct. If you continue like that, you will fail successfully. So you need to revise your strategy. So, yesterday, we attacked the first big ingredient that must go in if we want to be fast. That is power and authority of the Holy Spirit. We, we must move with more power in our discipling, in our churches, to break the kingdom of Satan down. If we don't do that, we will take many years and be standing at the same place and wishing things will move fast. They will not move fast. Satan is not convinced by counseling. He doesn't listen to that things. But this morning, I want to zero in on the second major method I want us to use to finish this task. And so the title of my sermon is Agency. Tell your friend, Agency. Agency. What is the meaning of agency? Why is it important for the church to be agents from this time onwards? And thirdly, how can I build agency into my Christian life? Number one, what is the meaning of agency? When we say something is agent, we mean that the thing is what must be addressed now. And it must be addressed with focus. And it must be addressed with speed as a priority. Let me explain. When we say something is urgent, so we must address it now, it means that you must drop some of the things you are doing, which are not urgent, drop them and do alongside some of the things you know that they are also urgent. Bring this new urgent thing into the picture and do the urgent things urgently. You need to go to school. You look at the time. Hey! I must be in class by 8. You need to eat. Hey, if I don't eat before I go to school, look, we are closing at about 5 o'clock in the evening. So what do you do? You don't sit down bracket and call for two plates. No, that's not agency. If you are urgent, you carry a takeaway 
and you are eating as you are moving to school. Because the two things are urgent. They are both important and urgent. So, and you want to do them. So instead of sitting down to eat, you carry the food and move. Some of the things, you have to drop them. The way you used to stand before the mirror for 30 minutes before you, you, you move. Today, you can't afford that. You must drop it. But some things, you can't drop them. So you carry them along as part of what needs to be done now, immediately. But it also means you must double your speed. Because the way you are doing the thing, if you ask me to take 15 minutes to pack all the chairs in the, the room, the way I do it is different from if you say, oh, by tomorrow I want you to pack all the chairs in this room. Because I have time. So, you must hurry up. But in the state of agency, it means you now have to list which things are more important than which. That's what we call priority. You, you just have to lift, lift some things above certain things. If you don't prioritize, I, let me use a very local example. To go and wee-wee is urgent. Because you don't move, you wee-wee into your shorts right now. So it's urgent. But in actual fact, wee-wee itself is not big. It's not as important as going to the bank for 100,000 Ghana, which has been sent to you. So some things in life are urgent, but they are not important. Some things in life are important, but they are not urgent. Some things in life are not important, and they are not urgent too. Watching a Nigerian movie. It's not urgent. It's not important too. If you don't watch that movie, you won't die. Some things in life are important, but they are not urgent. For example, your salvation is important, but it's not urgent. Nobody is saying that if you don't get born again by this moment, no, nobody is pressing you. You can actually say, oh, tomorrow I'll get born again. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow. So, in this life, if you treat everything the same, you are not thinking well. You need to, <laughs> to sit down and consider which things are urgent and important. Which things are important, but they are not urgent. Which things are not urgent, not important. And which things are important, but they are not urgent. Because Psalm 90 verse 2, 12 says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts unto wisdom. Unfortunately for us, and fortunately for that matter, all of us 
from the President of the United States to the prisoner in Sawan prisons, we have 24 hours a day. Nobody has 25 hours. Nobody has 25 hours. So whenever you say, I was busy. I was busy. I couldn't have my quiet time. What you are saying is that I don't consider quiet time important and urgent enough to waste my time on it. You will never have 25 hours until you die. You, you have to know that. You don't need a sermon on it. You will never have 25 hours until you die. You will always have 24 for your day. But the 24 is regular. It comes, it's paid into your account every day. So, how you treat yourself is pray, Lord, teach us to number our days, not weeks, not months, not years. Number each day so that you gain a heart of wisdom. You apply your heart of wisdom to wisdom. We, we say you are wise. The moment you start gauging your day and how to manage it. So, we ask ourselves the next question. Why? Why are we saying that we need agency for the work God has given us? Let's think through it. Number one, you yourself need time to finish the work for which God sent you into this world. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. It's like you are going to Accra town and you are going to check your exam results and your daddy says when you go buy me shaving stick. Your daddy has given you work in addition to what you want to do in town, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Meaning when you were coming to this earth, God too prepared work for you to do. Jesus said it in John 20, 21. He said, just as my father sent me, so send are you. So, you have been sent to this earth to accomplish some jobs. Now, those jobs are actually different from your own jobs. Your own jobs, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, sending WhatsApp to your friends, etc. Those are jobs you came and gave yourself. 
God. Yeah, the time you spend in the hairdresser's saloon making your hair is not part of the job God sent you to this earth to come and do. What do you think? Well, if it is God who sent you, then he sent you to win the soul of the hairdresser. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. Agency means that you can go and the hairdresser will dress your hair. Then you find time to speak to the hairdresser about Jesus. You can both go to the hairdresser, pray about it, so that while she's dressing your hair, you are preaching. In that case, there is a sense of agency. Am I coming home? You can take Uber or taxi to where you are going. But you can both preach to every Uber driver, taxi driver, or trotter when you are on the way. Both. But I'm trying to explain to you why agency is critical. God sent you to do some work here. And John 17 verse 4 says, Father, I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I've glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So, he told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed in your mother's womb, I already appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's the work I've given you. Therefore, when you come to the earth, you can do other things, but finish my work too, for which I sent you. The day you, you take your legs and put inside the coffin, be able to tell God that, oh, the work you sent me, I've finished it. That's the first reason why you need agency in life. Because you, you are doing many things. You are going to school. You, you are a, a professor or an engineer or, or a mechanic. You, you are doing your work, normal work, to get uh, bread and food. But at the same time, you have been sent to do something on this earth. And you need to finish that one. So, the people who are not Christians, they live only for this world. Therefore, when it's Saturday evening, jamboree, you know, that, yeah, they go in and they stay, they drink. By 11, 12, they are still at the jams or pub. You know that you are a Sunday school teacher. So you can't afford to spend that time at the jamboree and still get to church early enough. So because of that, your, the tempo of your life should be different from the tempo of a typical unbeliever. Because you have been sent by your father to do some work for him on earth. And the unbeliever has not got any such thing. Is it coming? You are a student. There are other students too at the university or in the SHS with you. You are both a student and a Christian. So you have some job 
God gave you, you must fulfill. In addition to being a normal student. So, the tempo of your life, how you live as a student, Christian student, should be different from the tempo of an unbeliever's life. Is it coming? Number two. The second reason is, Jesus is coming soon. In Revelations chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20, three times Jesus said in the last book, the last chapter, that I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming quickly. Yes. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Then verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. And 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come. Lord Jesus. Three times in the last chapter of the last book of God's Bible, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. I like the translation quickly, not soon, because it's from the Greek word from which we get taxi. It means speed, haste. If you have ears, you need to hear what Jesus is saying. I am coming quickly. And even the last one, he says, surely I'm coming. I know what you are thinking. It's 2,000 years now. He hasn't come. That's what you are thinking. Therefore, slow down, slow down. Are you the only person who, who is hearing that Jesus is coming quickly? Look, it's 2,000 years now. You get do your thing. Oh, get married. Finish on your... Not only that. John, the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he says, children, it is the last hour. Yes. It is the last hour. Did you hear that? It is the last what? He's not saying it's the last day. He says we are not living in the last days. We are living in the last hour. Now, he wrote this thing 2,000 years ago. So, what are we living in now? <laughs> last, I like that. Last minutes, last seconds, last milliseconds. So even now, yes, many antichrists it's have okay. come. It's okay. They get, they've got the point. If 2,000 years ago, they were living in the last hour, what are we living in? And that should influence the way every Christian lives. It's not just I. Every Christian in the world, we are living in the last minutes. 
is coming soon. And you and I know the way you walk when you are going to the exam room is different from the way you walk when you are on holidays. Do you think Jesus know that he will be waiting for him 2,000 years? He knew. But what he wanted to do is to get you to wake up. If somebody were to tell me that I'll be 68 years old now, I would say, how? How possible? I went to Legon 1974. And this is 2023. Next year, it will be 50 years since I went to the university. If anybody were to tell me, I'd say, how? The days don't wait for you. Time doesn't wait for you. Life is short. That's the truth. Jesus is coming soon. This is the last hour. Therefore, the tempo of how you live must change. You know, for 20 years, my office was on the University of Ghana campus. Commonwealth for all. Look. When they come to school, how? Then revision week comes. The week before exams. You can hear a pin drop on Legon campus. Because even though they are university students, the tempo of their life changes. Because they have exams. Do you know that heaven knows you have exams coming? You will be judged for everything you have done, you have said. You are going to give account for every word you have ever spoken since you were born. It's in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Do you know? Are you aware? I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Did you hear that? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You, won't, you can't just talk. Even though there is no tax, there is no levy on your words. There is no levy on your words. But every word you have ever spoken since you were born will be judged. You can't talk like other people because Jesus is coming soon. We are in the last minutes, the last milliseconds. You can't afford to live like that. The tempo of your life must change. You must look like somebody who has been sent and you are in a hurry. You are in haste. Every day you wake up, you must put your hand on your head and say, Lord Jesus, I am in the last hour. For your own personal life. Because there are some things you will not have the opportunity ever to do again. 
The guy who came and said he was the latest father in CDM. He gave his testimony and we all just were on our backs. He was the SRC president for Wisconsin University. And he was a born again Christian in the church. When he spoke, the whole university, both staff and students, they shook because the SRC president was talking. He never made a disciple. Can you believe? He never made a disciple. Then he came to see them. And he was taught how to make disciples. But by that time, he had finished Wisconsin. He was no longer the SRC president. Then he rushed back to the school. Nobody wanted to listen to him. The authority in his voice was gone. Look, <laughs> as students at Winneba University, you have a certain power which you will never have again until you die. You see, there is a certain power you have now over your friends, over family members, over where you are, your classmates, and so on, people in your dorm, which you will never have again until you die. Every human being, you have a life cycle. You have your childhood, 0 to 12. And there are certain things as a child, only children can do. <laughs> only children are allowed to do that kind of thing, the whole world. But after 12, when you enter 13, and you enter JHS and SHS, you can't behave as a child again. You are not a child. You are now a teenager. You are now an adolescent. And there are opportunities for JHS students, for SHS students, which will never come again until you die. Then, you enter the university. For the first time, You've left your mother and father. Oh, nobody's ringing the bell for lectures. Yeah, hooray. Look, as a university student, there are opportunities in this life they will never come again until you die. Never, never. Then you finish university. You're on your own now. Yeah. You've got to work. National service. They posted you alone to Tapa Botuasi. Yeah. Freedom. Hooray. No lectures. National service is an opportunity you will never get again in life. Life has cycles. You are not yet married. <laughs> My friend. You are not yet married. Ask Beverly. There are opportunities as an married young man or woman which will never come again when you marry. When you marry, that's the end. There are certain things you can never do as a married person. 
until you die. Now, even when you are married, it's possible you are working at your workplace until you are pensioned or you go on retirement. There are opportunities you have which will never come until you die. Life has seasons. Life has seasons. Life has cycles. Don't waste your life. You have only one life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Spend your life on agent things. Spend your life on things which matter. Read books that matter. Listen to songs that matter. Even Bible. Read portions of the Bible that you, you need to prioritize things because your life and its cycles are such that they never come back. Christianity does not believe in reincarnation. It's appointed unto man once to die. Hebrews 9.27 After that, judgment. You need to build agency into your life. But I don't have time to talk about the church needs to build agency into its programs. Sometimes we go to church and we are just wasting time. Sometimes I go to some youth meetings and I feel it's just a waste of the youth, their life. All singing, dancing the whole time and they say praise the Lord 100 times and then at the end of the day you don't really know what you got from that youth meeting. It's a waste because youth will never come again. In Proverbs 20, verse 29, he says the glory of young men is their youth. Your strength is a glory you have which you will never get again. And the glory of the old men is the gray hair. Proverbs 20, 29, yes. The glory of young men is their strength. And the splendor of old men is their gray edge. So, all I want to push through is the importance of agency in your life. But, let me quickly get to my last point, And which is why I'm preaching this sermon. We need to double up if we want to finish this work and bring back the king. In Second Peter chapter 3, the Bible speaks of looking forward to the second coming of Jesus and hastening it. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's read verse uh, 12 first. Looking forward and hastening the coming of the day of God. Do you hear that? Looking for and hastening, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Why? When we finish the work, He comes. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 24, we can read verse 6, verse 7, and then verse 14, that there will be wars, rumors of wars, nation will rise up against nation, 
kingdom against kingdom. There will be pestilences. There will be Turkey earthquake. There will be, uh, you name them, from HIV to coronavirus. They will come. But the end is not yet. The end is not yet. Yes. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. Russia, Ukraine. Yes, please. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. 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 Yes. For nation will rise again. You, you see how urgent I am? Because I'm looking at my time. <laughs> yes. And kingdom against kingdom. Yes. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. You know, I respect Jesus because of prophecy. He said this 2,000 years ago. From the past 60 years till now, the earthquakes on the earth are increasing in tempo and devastation. Never since the world began have earthquakes been of such magnitude. Jesus said they are one of the signs that the end is near. He said it. Another one is wars. When universities and schools came and we started dressing nicely, nobody thought war would come. But we are in the 21st century. Russia is at war against Ukraine. Nobody thought that with civilization, you know, human beings are thinking well, combing their hair, using spectacles, that there will, there will be war. But Jesus says, wars, kingdom against kingdom. Yes, it's a prophecy. No book in the world has prophecies concerning the end times like the Bible. This is more modern than graphic. Yes. Verse 14 now. 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Did you get it? The end of the world is balanced on the gospel being preached among all nations. So if you want to hasten the coming of Jesus, what should you do? Preach. Make sure the last boy, the last girl in the last village hears the gospel. Then you are hastening the coming soon of Jesus. You can't just sit back and say, hey, Jesus says I'm coming soon. No. Jesus says I'm coming soon. What, what, what are you doing? It's like saying my husband says he is coming soon. But you haven't cooked. You haven't prepared the house. My husband says he's coming soon. He's coming. I know he's coming. Oh, he said he's coming. If Jesus is coming for the church, and the gospel must be preached, then the end will come. Then what, what should we do? What should we do, brothers and sisters? With the sense of agency, I must see it in your life. So from today... I want to announce that for all serious CDM members, instead of one disciple a year, we are going to two. Tell your friend, agency. You two respond, two disciples a year. People who are visitors to CDM can give us one disciple. But people who are members of CDM must consider 
urgency and give us two disciples a year. Two instead of one. You say why? Let me argue. Even Jesus, he chose disciples two by two. Some of them, look, Peter and Andrew, they were both casting nets and he called the two. Look at John and James. They were both with their father in the, in the boat and he called the two. And when he was sending them, he sent them one by one, two by two. Look at the Holy Spirit in uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. He said, when the church in Antioch was praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Two for the work I have appointed them. So, two. Holy Spirit will not be angry if you are asking him for two disciples a year. But not only that. If Ecclesiastes chapter 4 from verse 9 to 12 says two are better than one. Because if one falls, the other will lift him up. You see? And Jesus himself said it. It's from the Old Testament. But Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter 18. From verse 15 to 18. He says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything will be established. You see? And not only that. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So if you produce two disciples, you increase the spiritual power whenever you meet. And now my experience. I have come to see to pick only one a disciple. They become lazy. Have you had your quiet time? No. Have you memorized the Bible verse? No. Why? I was busy. But when they are two, have you had your quiet time? Say no. Have you had your quiet time? Yes. Every day of the week. Then the lazy person wakes up and says that, if I must be careful. This is why I say CDM will never become a church. Because in your church, you were the opemu, you were the big man there. But when you come here and you hear that somebody has read the Bible through in six days, you repent. Because you see that you are nobody. The way you thought you were heavier. When we came to this meeting and you heard that uh, uh, our brother Derek brought a team that they have over 40. Were you not humbled? When you look back at your back, you see that Oh, Charlie, people are there. Oh. Yes. So whenever you have a team of two or three, when one person is not memorizing Bible verse, you ask the second person. They have memorized. Then they stop bluffing you. Then you see that, oh, today we can't meet. Oh, eh, my mother's left toe is sick. Oh, we can't meet. When disciples are two, that one, you don't hear that. Moreover, People don't only learn from the disciple. Disciples learn from each other. Proverbs 27, 17. Just as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So, you see that because they are two or three, they learn from each other. Some things you, the disciple, will explain. And one person finds it difficult. Like in a math class, one student can explain a math answer to the fellow student better than the teacher. Because the teacher takes a lot of things for granted and just throws the thing. But the fellow student tells you, oh, I was also solving it this way, but I saw that this is, so I changed to this way and I got it. Then the person, ah, 
That's it. You see? This is why we have tutorials. The main lecturer just comes and bam. But <laughs> among yourselves, you talk and say, hey, Charlie. So, we are going to aim at two disciples each. Because if we get two disciples each, we double our temple. And those who can get five disciples, Charlie, go for it. Go for five disciples a year. Only that, when you come first year, just be gentle with yourself. Look for just two. Why two? Because if one fails you, the second one will, will stand. Many people said, hey, I had a disciple, but uh, on the way, when I called him uh, to come for the retreat, he said he was, uh, uh, his cousin was sick. And, and, and then I, uh, but the second one is here. You've won. You've won. You know? And I can tell you, disciples disappoint. The same name of disciples is disappointment. So, if you aim only at one disciple, by the end of the year, he's gone. This was the problem of Elisha. He was aiming only at Gehazi. And so when Gehazi disappointed him, he didn't have any disciple. He died with his anointing. So, in the grave, he raised the dead. But no disciple behind. You see? So, if you choose only one disciple and he disappoints you. Even Jesus, with the twelve, Judas Iscariot disappointed him. But the eleven were there. That's wisdom. That is wisdom. Are you with me? And it's easy. The same resources you need to disciple one person. It's the same you need for two. You are the same person discipling both of them. Moreover, when friends two come, the person who caused the other friend to backslide also comes to be disciples. So both of them now enter. And even your family members. Me, when I got born again, my elder brother, hi, he made me backslide many times. And I had to take a decision because he was my friend. Everywhere we go together. I remember one time when I went to London, even in my old age as a pastor, he was driving me to church to preach. And he said, oh, JFK, do you know, there is a, a shop here for sex toys. And he wanted to take me to a shop where those things are sold, so that I'll go. I said, ah, I'm a pastor, I'm going to preach. You want to send me to go and see a sex toy shop? And, and, and he stopped that. Some of your brothers, friends, they will cause you to backslide. Therefore, if you bring them to Christ at once, then the person to make you backslide has also come to Christ. And two of you together go to heaven. Moreover, God is in the business of saving more than one. Rahab the harlot. She brought a whole household. Noah. He brought his children and the children's wives. Look at Cornelius. His family and friends. All. Look at the Philippian jailer. Eh? Acts 16, 30, 31. He said, what must I do to be saved? And they told him, believe on the Lord Jesus. You and your household will be saved. Look at Lydia in Acts 16, from verse 14. When God touched her heart, she and her household. God is in the business of saving more than you. He wants your friends. He wants your family members. 
Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.39, he said, the promise is for you and your children and all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's not only for you. Therefore, we are changing our temple from today. How many people think that they will venture into the two disciples a year? You, you, you want to venture two disciples a year. Oh, I'm already satisfied. I'm already satisfied. Hallelujah. Put agency into your life. You know, some things have to be dropped. Things you say, I don't have time, I don't have time. Look through your calendar. Look through the week. See which area. You don't have time, but you have 90 minutes to watch Manchester United play. You don't have time. You don't have time. Eh? Girls cry, what do they do? What do girls spend their time on? Uh-huh. Yes. Those series. Love uh, series. You watch all. We went to Abidjan. There was a girl. She was just about 16 years old. And she had listened to every song of Michael Jackson. And memorized them. And when she finished, she said, Michael Jackson, I know you are dead, but can I see you? And Michael Jackson appeared. And entered there. If she was brought because we had to cast out the demon. Do you, do you see my point? Your life must have agency. Some things you must drop them. Some things you must drop them. I used to be an omnivorous reader. I read every kind of book. So when you go to my former school, Bishop Emma, they would call me Chaucer over there. Because from, from one, I started reading Chaucer. I read at the park. I read everywhere. But when I became born again, the Holy Spirit told me, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 this kind of thing, you can't do it. So some things, you have to drop them. Amen. Amen. Are you happy you are going to drop certain things? I pray so. And then take certain things. Some of them, you can't say, I'm leaving school so that I will win souls. You can't say that. But you can say that I will be in school, but I will also add the winning of souls and making disciples. Because life is urgent. Some cycles of life, you will never get them again. Now, at 68, I'm doing certain things. But I am sure by 75, I can't do those things. Therefore, if I waste 68, I am wasting 75. That's life for you. Shall we be on our feet? Tell yourself, agency. Agency. I want my life to be agent. Holy Spirit, I want you to help me. To be agent. You are coming soon, Lord Jesus. I will give account, Lord Jesus. I want to be urgent. Shall we begin to pray? Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Men's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensministries.org. God bless you.